a playlist original. The UK's culture venues have finally reopened for the first time since last year, meaning in-person performances, cinema and exhibitions are back, baby. This relaxation of lockdown restrictions just so happened to occur on International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia. So I think this means closing arts venues is homophobic, yes? although obviously necessary for public health. All this in the fleshness got me thinking about bodies and connection and disability representation and, yes, sex. So today I'll be discussing both in-person events and art centering around bodies in all their glory. As always, there will be spoilers. Art. Trigger warning. The exhibition I'm about to discuss covers rape. Queer, non-binary visual activist Zanel Muholi's exhibition at the Tate Modern has finally reopened and is on until May 31st. It's the first major mid-career UK survey of their work, which explores issues of race and representation in South Africa, reframing ways of seeing the black queer body and building an archive so that the LGBTQ plus community there is not forgotten. They've said, I have seen people speaking and capturing images of LGBTQ plus people on our behalf, as if we were incapable and mute. I've witnessed this at gay pride events, at academic conferences, in the so-called women's movement forums. I refuse to become subject matter for others and to be silenced. Bodily trauma is a common theme in one of the early works in the exhibition, the only half of the picture series from 2002 to 2006. Despite the cropping out, either partially or fully, of their heads, Many are anonymous victims of corrective rape and other hate crimes. Zanel's intimacy with their participants, a word they choose to use over subjects, giving them a sense of ownership, is obvious. Their piece Aftermath shows a person with a long scar running down their thigh, while Ordeal is a shot of a person washing their body after a traumatic event. Maholi aims to break down ignorance and shame via their images too. ID Crisis portrays someone binding their chest, while an image of menstrual blood challenges the widely held belief that butch women do not get periods. In 1996, South Africa's post-apartheid constitution became the first in the world to outlaw discrimination based on sexual orientation. But in reality, the violence and intolerance continued. And still it continues. Faces and Phases, which contains hundreds of photos, is a living visual archive of black lesbians, trans, and gender non-conforming people, and the transitions they experience. Maholi often returns to photograph the same participant over time, and they reach the 14th iteration of the series in 2020. And many of these images are accompanied by testimonies from the participants of injustices they have faced. But in amongst the suffering, there is love and desire. The other half of the picture, in only half the picture. Take the image of a black woman strapping on a white dildo, or the ongoing series Being, which focuses mainly on the daily lives and loves of same-sex couples. In another, one of their few colour series, we see LGBTQ plus people taking ownership of public spaces by being photographed in them, such as Miss Divine in Johannesburg, sitting beside crops in red heels. What I love most about Maholi's work, done in silver gelatin prints, is the way they create their portraits collaboratively with the participant. They determine the location, clothing and pose together, and this level of comfort is so clear in the resulting image, especially in the 2014 series Brave Beauties, which consists of images of trans women, GNC and non-binary people, many of whom are beauty pageant contestants. As Maholi says, if you don't see yourself in the media, you're forced to create visual content that can fulfil you. One room of the exhibition shows work created collaboratively, 
from images of pride marches and protests to that of weddings and funerals, via Maholi's collective Incaniso, which means light in their first language. Its motto is queer activism equals queer media. I couldn't have put it better myself. TV. I adored Ryan O'Connell's unsparingly frank comedy about being young, gay and disabled in LA when it premiered on Netflix in 2019 with bite-sized 15-minute episodes. And now it's back for a second and final season on May 20th. It's based on Ryan's 2015 memoir, I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. The first season, executive produced by Jim Parsons, saw Ryan gain independence, moving into his own flat and starting to live life on his terms. He also told his co-workers at the millennial website Eggwoke that he has cerebral palsy. He originally lies, telling them he has been in a car accident, but ended up fighting with his overprotective mother Karen, played by Jessica Hecht. The show's portrayal of sex and sexuality was refreshing. In one standout episode, Ryan decides to hire a sex worker so he can lose his virginity without fear or embarrassment, and I'm looking forward to season two building on that with its longer half-hour episodes, especially with the promise of a new love interest, Tanner, played by Dead to Me's Max Jenkins. If you're sad to see the end of special, fret not. O'Connell told The Hollywood Reporter, I'm not finished telling stories about disability. I'm not finished telling queer stories. This is really just the beginning of a new chapter. <laughs> theatre. Anyone who knows me knows how excited I am to see live theatre again. And the Turbine Theatre beside London's Battersea Power Station is kicking things off with a bang, proving that good things come in twos, with two festivals, two queer plays, and two short works by LGBTQ plus creatives. I've been a fan of MT Fest UK since it was launched in 2019 by the Turbine's artistic director, Paul Taylor Mills. I've never missed a year. It's given us some gems, including the musical version of But I'm Not a Cheerleader, an Eurobeat with RuPaul's Drag Race star Vinegar Strokes, and this year looks set to be no different. All of the shows will be going on a digital tour. Find more details at theturbinetheatre.com. First up is Far From Heaven, based on Todd Haynes' film of the same name. Set in 1950s Connecticut, Kathy Whitaker, played by Mary Poppins' Scarlett Strallen, seems to have the perfect family life, but all is not as it seems. Her husband Frank, played by Bryce Pinkham, is gay. While the musical was being developed in America, reviewers said of Richard Greenberg's book, it maintains the thing that sets the film apart from myriad gay dramas. The story doesn't focus on the trials and tribulations of Frank as a closeted gay man, but the effect his closet has on the people around him. There's a jazz-inflected, hauntingly lyrical score by Scott Frankel and lyrics by Michael Corey, the pair who wrote Broadway's Patti Lapone vehicle War Paint which sounds especially promising. It runs until May 19th. Next up is The Man in the Ceiling by gay composer-lyricist Andrew Lipper, best known for The Wild Party, which includes one of my favourite lesbian musical songs, an old-fashioned love story, featuring the classic line, I understand a bird in the hands worth two in the bush. The touching story about following your dreams, telling the tale of 12-year-old Jimmy who wants to be a cartoonist, runs from May 20th to 22nd. Then, on May 24th to 26th, comes Elliot Clay's Millennials, which focuses on the lives, loves and frustrations of young people these days. With a wonderfully LGBTQ plus cast, including Everybody's Talking About Jamie's Luke Bayer, Rent's Ali Daniel, Hadestown's Beth Hinton-Lever and Six's Jodie Steele, and an uplifting poppy soundtrack, 
it's sure to be a treat. It runs alongside eco-rock musical Housefire, written and directed by P. Burton Morgan. Its LGBTQ plus cast members include Eleanor Kane, known for playing Medium Allison in Fun Home. We're still waiting for that West End transfer, but if you're interested in Alison Bechtel, stay tuned. And Robin Samoas de Silva, whose folk musical brother about a young trans man was developed during a previous empty fest. Its concept is the kookiest of the lot. A trio of endangered animals form a rock band to protest against the climate crisis. But as a longtime fan of Felix Hagen, who created the music for the show, I know they're going to pull it off. Expect gig theatre at its finest. To round out the festival on May 27th to 29th, we have Mark Anderson and Graham LaPound's Proud, with music by Lee Friedman. It stars Jordan Luke Gage as David, who, despite his parents accepting him for who he is, desperately wants to be straight, so heads to Conversion Camp Reality Track. But when handsome Rory, played by Carl Mann, arrives, David faces the ultimate test. Recently, it's been announced that the UK is finally banning conversion therapy, so it'll be interesting to see this in that new light. You can find plenty of the songs from these musicals in the new Queer We Go Spotify playlist. But for now, here's See You by Luke Bayer from Millennials.
you and me, we should be over, but we're not over. We never will be over. Next up from the turbine is a festival dedicated to LGBTQ plus voices and stories, Rally Fest, which runs from June 6th to 13th. Highlights of the 12 show lineup include Queens of MT, an evening of show tunes with drag queens, a collection of three plays by Harvey Fierstein entitled Safe Sex, High Tide's work in progress of Sonia Jalali's new play Oh We Do Like To Be, an intergenerational story about nostalgia, identity, and the good old British seaside. Sophia Murphy's debut play, Obsession, featuring a paranormal sceptic. Tom Ratcliffe's Wreckage, about a man eager to see his dead fiancé again. And musical theatre star Declan Bennett's autobiographical one-hander, about moving in and out of the big smoke, called Boy Out the City. Then comes the premiere of My Sons Are Queer, But What Can You Do? Written and performed by Rob Madge. Known for their hilarious Twitter videos as much as for their work in Les Mis and Mary Poppins, which celebrates the chaos and joy of raising a queer child. It arose out of the home videos Rob shared on social media of their attempt to stage a full blown Disney parade for their grandma as a child. If you haven't seen them, go do that now, you won't regret it. As Rob donned a wig and played Mary Poppins, Ariel, Mickey Mouse, and Belle, their dad doubled as stage manager, sound technician, and Goofy. Unfortunately, Dad missed all his cues and pushed the floats in the wrong direction, and the costumes and props went awry. This moving show, running from June 17th to July 3rd, sees Rob attempt to recreate the parade, while exploring what happens when parents champion creativity. On June 26th and 27th, there's an opportunity to be a part of the rather unique Theatre for Two, semi-improvised short plays that celebrate connection, performed to only two people at a time and you may just get to help guide that story. Tabby Lamb will present gluten-free chocolate crispy caramel mini bite, which is a clarion call for a more tender society. And Ryan Lane is performing The Recluse Who Lives on a Hill about the formerly most famous woman in Hollywood trying to recreate the golden years. And looking even further to the future, the theatre has just announced a production of Kevin Elliott's My Night with Reg, running between July 7th and August 21st. I fell in love with this play, set during the AIDS crisis, when I saw it in 2014 at the Donmar Warehouse, and I can't wait to see what Matt Ryan's fresh revival has in store. Music. She's the Norwegian singer whose name has become a shorthand for queerness, with the online code Do You Listen to Girl in Red. So it seemed inevitable that her debut album, If I Could Make It Go Quiet, would offer an unflinchingly honest portrayal of lesbian sex that we haven't seen since the likes of Marika Hackman, King Princess and Shura. Acknowledging her raging libido on horny lovesick mess, she sings, It's been months since I've had sex. I don't want to be the type of person who calls you up every time I need to get off, but I guess that's who I'm turning into. An especially clever touch is the closing, almost whispered refrain, My love comes out at midnight echoing the song Midnight Love about a hookup who doesn't seem to want anything more. She's been both the user and the UZ. Her diary-esque confessionals are even bolder on the song Did You Come, as she confronts a cheating lover with the lyrics, 
Did you do the things you know I like? Roll your tongue, make her come 20 times. Her candor extends to mental health too. As someone with OCD, the Phineas produced serotonin and its portrayal of the mind's ability to override the body with intrusive thoughts is tough listening, but it captures sensory overload so well via maximized production and rap that dissolves into gibberish. The track Rue, a tribute to Zendaya's Euphoria character, also acknowledges the loved ones who have cared for her during a depressive episode. The album is uneven in places, notably on the softer, slower songs such as Apartment 402, but ultimately Girl in Red's move from bedroom pop to a sound built more for Irina's has been a roaring success. Books. In Alison Bechdel's new graphic novel, her first since 2012's Are You My Mother, entitled The Secret to Superhuman Strength, she tackles our relationship with our bodies by exploring her lifelong obsession with exercise and questions whether constantly striving to be the best version of yourself is all it's cracked up to be. Each chapter explores a separate decade of the fitness fads she took part in, and her warmth shines through every page. You always want to be in her company. The ridiculously gendered nature of exercise is highlighted in her obsession with the Charles Atlas bodybuilding ads in comic books, as she writes... It didn't really occur to me, despite the endlessly repeated word man, that these were male bodies. Turning away from the gender psychosis of exercise regimes she grew up with, such as TV's Jack LaLanne talking about firming up the bust, she finds her own approach to fitness. After coming out as a lesbian in college, she heads to Michigan Women's Music Festival and exclaims, Not a man in sight. In that startling void, I underwent a vertiginous perceptual shift. I could see what it meant to be a subject and not an object. This results in her taking up feminist martial arts in her 20s, but she still battles with whether her desire for strength goes against her feminism. Part of me is still enamoured of the ideal of the rugged individual. But why? This fantasy of physical fitness is for fascists. I'm a feminist, for F's sake. Alison has admitted to finding relationships difficult. And when she was younger, she saw superhuman strength as something that would allow her to be self-sufficient. She carried this into adult life, and when she decided to be celibate for a short period in her late 20s, early 30s, she would do yoga and draw instead. But as she got older, she learned that she cannot do this life alone. And that's touchingly revealed in the fact that her partner of 13 years, Holly Ray Taylor, collaborated on this book, in the colouring of it. The pair's relationship is illustrated via fitness too. They meet at a bike swap, and during her first bike ride with Holly, Alison almost wipes out because she is so distracted by her. Her relationship necessarily throws her off balance, just as, at the transformational points in her book, she loses control by using colourless brushwork, in contrast with the rigid black lines seen elsewhere. It would be simplistic of me to say that this is Bechdel rounding off the trilogy, the father, the mother, the daughter. But the conclusion that the only thing to transcend is the idea that there's something to transcend feels like a pretty tight ending to me. As Alison has said, the book doesn't have her sexuality front and centre, unlike her past two. But for all you dykes to watch out for fans, she has recently revealed that she's planning an animated series based on the comic strip. So watch this space. Comedy. And speaking of comics, here are some of my picks for another in-person event that has the go-ahead. Brighton Fringe Festival, in the UK's queer capital. My first recommendation is queer comedy collective The Lol Word, currently made up of Chloe Petz, Jodie Mitchell and Shelf. I saw this lot in Edinburgh a couple of years ago, and they were a riot. Tickets for this are free, with four performances between June 10th and 16th. Chloe and Shelf will also be performing works in progress at the Fringe. 
Chloe's show Transient sees her take a look at her inability to enjoy anything because of the knowledge that everything will one day end on May 28th and June 11th and 12th. While Shelf, who describe themselves as a musical comedy double act, but one of them is tone deaf, so technically they're a musical single act, Ruby, plus guest, Rachel, will be developing their new show One Man Band on July 3rd and 4th. If that's your bag, you might also enjoy Zoe Lyons' gay-friendly comedy night Bent Double on June 4th, with comics including Jen Brister and Joe Sutherland. Or, for a bingo experience like no other, join Boogaloo Stew's Big Quiffy Bingo on May 28th to 30th for outrageous games, obscene works of art, poetry slams and hilarious prizes. LGBTQ plus groups Spit the Ink are also back with riffs and rhymes, featuring a mix of comedy, poetry and spoken word on June 24th and 27th. Profits will go to mental health charities specialising in outreach to young people and the LGBTQ community. If you're a fan of clowning, head to Frankie Thompson's work in progress, The Sex Party, on June 25th to 26th. It's part performative essay, part clown show, part animal documentary, and part drag manifesto, investigating the scandalous sex lives of politicians past and present. And if you like the sound of that, why not head to Chelsea Birkby's show Sexistentialism between 23rd and 25th of June, considering the premise that existentialists are the worst in bed in an exploration of the self, shame and sex. And finally, on July 2nd and 3rd, lowbrow, high-camp sketch duo Mother, made up of Jack Mosdale and Laura Koenig, present their new show Colleagues. Jack is also known for the gay comedy time travel podcast The Whole Seekers, and there's a sentence I never thought I'd say. Of course, there are still plenty of internet streaming options for those who can't or don't feel comfortable going to live events yet. Just head to brightonfringe.org for more info. Film. The website Them put it best when it described dramedy together together as unintentionally queer cinema at its best. Writer-director Nicole Beckwith's sophomore feature film, which premiered earlier this year at Sundance, tells the tale of 26-year-old Anna, played by Patty Harrison, who most recently starred in Raya and the Last Dragon, making her the first known trans actor in a Disney animated film. She is hired to be a gestational surrogate for Ed Helms' character, 40-something single-app developer Matt. This queer vibe is achieved, firstly, by the way parenthood is reimagined. It rejects the assumption that only specific bodies can take on specific parental roles, which is vital for queer parents. We see Anna teach Matt how to put a tampon in, in case he needs to explain it to his child later in life, while Matt tries on a device that lets him breastfeed. When the pair pick up a crib from a too-cool-for-its-own-good store, we see the film poke fun at the double standards between single mothers and single fathers, too. There are so many ways to make a family. Autostraddle's Drew Gregory said, Acknowledging Patty's transness actually adds a layer to this film that's explicitly about gender and bodies and it certainly makes the birth scene at the end especially poignant. This is Patty's first starring role in a feature film, and her magnetic performance proves that Hollywood is wasting a vast amount of talent whenever it refuses to give cis roles to trans actors. As Anna, she draws you in with her salty, offhand remarks and wry smiles as she gradually opens up after years alone. It's also a queer-heavy cast, with Julio Torres as Anna's coffee shop co-worker, who has perhaps the best line of the film, I'm really worried that you're probably making a little straight white guy in there. Straining her face, Anna replies, I just gave him a podcast. It's about Reaganomics. Tignataro also stars as Matt and Anna's therapist, 
guiding them through the surrogacy journey. But it's the concept of chosen family that truly makes Together Together queer. Anna's parents disowned her after she became pregnant in high school, and Matt's parents doubt his decision to become a single father, but their friendship overleaps this. Finding someone who understands you when your birth family don't, as you veer away from the traditional life path they expected you to follow, speaks to the queer experience. And it's kind of cool to see it in a movie that's presumably about straight people. Watching the way their bond deepens is magical. From picking a paint colour for the nursery, they land on a colour that Matt's shade book says signifies impracticality and idealism, which is the most wonderful bit of symbolism I've seen in a film all year, to binge-watching friends and holding hands and eating candy after therapy, which Anna initially refuses to do. I was particularly taken by the shot of Anna opening up the list of favourites in her contacts, which mirrors the list of favourites in Matt's app for lonely people, Lona. A lazier film could have seen the pair get together, but this one deliberately skews the rom-com genre trope of heteronormative resolutions, even going so far as to have Anna mock Matt's love of Woody Allen films, with their predatory May-December romances. When they declare their love for one another, Anna makes sure to clarify it's the boring kind of love, but Together Together shows that kind can be the most beautiful. And on that note, it's ta for now. Stay here, stay queer, and I'll see you in a fortnight. Bye.